And now we're going to read um, the passage of scripture that Katie will be speaking from, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it's found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owned him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. This is the word of the Lord. So in Matthew 18... As Judy just read, Peter comes to Jesus with a question. How often do I need to forgive people who sin against me? Seven times? So seven in the Bible often symbolizes perfection, completeness. So Peter probably thought he was being generous offering this number. It would mean he had done everything he could to forgive someone. And Jesus answers his question not just seven, but 77 times. This is a wild, over-the-top number that must have elicited an incredulous reaction from our favorite unfiltered disciple. I'm guessing Peter had a terrible poker face, right? You always know what Peter's thinking. But before he can object, Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this king who went to settle his accounts. We read that he calls in one of his servants who owes him, uh, the NIV says, 10,000 bags of gold. Some translations say 10,000 talents. So uh, assuming that you, like me, uh, don't usually deal in ancient Near East monetary uh, systems like me, let me just break down what that is for you. So one talent is equivalent to 20 years of wages for the average day laborer, right? So here you've got one denarius is a day's wage. And 20 years of wages is one talent. So this servant owes his master 10,000 talents. That's 200,000 years of labor. Okay, now a couple things about this. 
Accounting records from the time tell us that the annual tribute of that region, like the money they had to pay to Rome every year, was 200 talents. 10,000 talents would have been more money than was in circulation in the country at the time. So a talent was the largest denomination of money that they had, and 10,000 is the biggest number that Greek had words for. So to Jesus' disciples listening to this story, it was as if he had said, this guy owed 10 gazillion dollars. <laughs> okay, it's beyond calculation. It's hyperbole. Hyperbole is this dramatic device, this literary device that Jesus uses freely in this parable. Everything in this parable is hyperbole, over-the-top, exaggeration. So the point is, though, that, that this man was a fool. He had gotten himself into more debt than he could pay back in 2,000 lifetimes. So when the king asked for his money back, this poor guy was in trouble. (laughs) Even if the king sold the servant, sold his family, sold everything the servant owned, he might get one talent for that, right? Leaving 9,999 talents, he would still not be getting back. This man was in an impossible situation. And lucky for him, at his cries for mercy, the, king heart, the king's heart softens. He has compassion on him. That word compassion is the same word we read when Jesus has compassion on people who can't do anything to help themselves. People who are without food. People who are in need of healing. People who don't know where else to go. Jesus has compassion on them. And this king, like Jesus, recognizes that this poor man has no way to ever pay back this debt that he owes. He has compassion on him. He feels pity towards him. And so instead of, instead of asserting his rights, which included the right to sell the man, the family, everything they owned, the king forgave the debt. He doesn't even tell him to keep working it off. He just says, you know what? It's forgiven paid in full. Can you imagine how amazing that must have felt? (laughs) So I'm thinking about when I was in high school, right? I told you a couple weeks ago, I have a single mom. We didn't have a ton of money. And so when I was in high school, I found out that I had won a scholarship that paid for most of my college, right? I cried. (laughs) It was amazing. How else would I have paid for college? And so I'm imagining that but like to a gazillion times, right? (laughs) Can you imagine? My goodness, this man has his impossible debt forgiven. That fear he had of losing his family, losing his life, being sent away from his friends, his children, losing everything he knows, all that fear that must have been weighing on him is gone. He's free. And out of the way, out of the king's palace probably just walking on air, he sees a friend who owes him some money. A hundred coins, a hundred denarii, right? We said a denarii is one day's wage, so his friend owes him a hundred days' wages. But he was just forgiven the equivalent of 200,000 years of wages, so he's going to return the favor, obviously, right? He's been forgiven. He's been freed. His heart must be light. He probably feels like Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas morning, right? Wrong. Instead, this man overreacts. 
violently. He chokes this man. He starts to strangle him. He demands what he is owed. Hyperbole again, right? Over the top. He throws this man in the debtor's prison until he can work enough to pay off the debt that he owes. This is supposed to shock us, okay? This is supposed to make us wonder, what in the world is wrong with this guy? What a wildly inappropriate reaction. And the other servants think so too. That's why they go straight to the king to tell him what happened. And the king is outraged. He sends for the servant and he revokes his forgiveness. He tells the servant that because he had received such mercy from the king, it was his duty to extend the same mercy to his fellow servant. Apparently, this man does not realize how much he has been forgiven. And so the king says, well, you will have the rest of your life to wrap your mind around how much you had been forgiven. And just for added emphasis, hyperbole at how terrible his fate would be, Jesus tacks on that just like the pagan kings of the time, this king gave the jailers free reign to torture the man. The point is, this man is headed for a miserable rest of his life because he didn't forgive. And then Jesus ends this parable with this. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Oh, that's pretty heavy. I don't know about you, but at this point I start to ask, okay, so what does this parable mean here? Like, one way to try and understand what parables mean is to start giving sort of one-to-one equivalency between the characters in the parable and people in real life. Like, you know, who's God in this? Who's me? Who's other people? Who's Jesus? And okay, so maybe other, you know, maybe we can see ourselves, right, as that first servant that's forgiven so much. And maybe other people are the servant we have to forgive because they've done something that's one six hundred thousandth the size of what God gave, forgave us for. Um, but then is there like a particular fraction at which we don't have to forgive? Is it just if it's like really obviously not a big deal compared to what God's forgiven us? And okay, is God the king? Is God torturing people? Is that what we're supposed to get out of this? Well, that's one way to look at a parable, but it's not how Jesus told parables and expected us to understand them. Okay, parables, we've said, are stories with a point. They're not allegorical. They're not one-to-one equivalency. Parables are stories with a point. And there is a big idea that Jesus wants us to get from this story. He didn't tell the story so that people would get lost in the details, lost in the hyperbole, and trying to make these things somehow exactly equal real life. He's got a big idea. And the big idea of this story is that in his kingdom, God offers forgiveness without limit. And he expects us to do the same. In God's kingdom, he offers forgiveness without limit, and he expects us to do the same. That is the point of this parable, that our God is merciful, generous, compassionate, forgiving, and people who belong to his kingdom are to behave the same way. Let's talk first about God and his unlimited 
forgiveness. When the king in this parable reminds the servant that he had forgiven him all that debt, it's intended to make us consider what we've been forgiven for. Over and over in the Bible, it makes clear that every single person owes a sin debt to God that can never be repaid. Isaiah 59.12 says, For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. In God's world, any sin is a problem. Either we are sinful or we're not. And as James reminds us, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. I'm guessing in this room, just a quick walk through just the Ten Commandments would reveal to us all that we are all sinners. We are all this servant who has a debt that can't even be counted stacked against us. Just like that servant, 2,000 lifetimes would never be enough for us to repay the debt. And here, in our pitiable state, unable to do anything about just how sinful we are, this is where God steps in. Psalm 86 says, You, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Romans 6 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. 1 John says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103 says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. We have been forgiven. There is nothing you have ever done or will ever do that God cannot forgive. Nothing that he's not willing to forgive. Every wrong thought, every harsh word, every evil deed, we are forgiven. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are children of God. And Romans 8 says that I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing we can do to stop God from loving us. We are forgiven. We are free. God's love and grace towards us is unlimited. Praise God. And because God's love towards us is unlimited, his grace toward us is unlimited, because we have become children of God, because we are co-heirs with Christ, co-laborers with him in God's mission to restore all of creation, because of that, God expects us to extend that same grace and forgiveness to others. See, 
The problem with this servant in the parable is that he assumed that his forgiveness from the king had nothing to do with anyone else. He thought that the forgiveness he received was a separate matter from how he acted toward other people. It didn't occur to him that his interaction with his fellow servants should be changed as a result of his forgiveness from the king. I wonder how often we're guilty of the same thing. We receive unlimited grace, unlimited forgiveness from God, and we enjoy this amazing reality of being called one of God's children. But sometimes we forget that our relationship with God is supposed to have anything to do with our relationship with other people. Some of us were formed in our growing up years by the phrase personal salvation, which simply means that God wants to know each of us as individuals, that we can have a personal relationship with God. And that's true, and it's beautiful. But I sometimes think that um, this personal salvation emphasis maybe caused us to forget that our salvation is anything but an individual affair. In this parable, four times we see the Greek word for fellow servants. Jesus is making the point that your forgiveness that God gave you is supposed to impact your forgiveness of other people. The king in this parable told the servant that it was his duty, it was necessary that the servant extend the same mercy to his fellow servants that he had received. It didn't matter that the servant had the right to throw his fellow servant in debtor's prison. If the king had insisted on his rights, this man, his family, everything he owned would have been sold. God gave up his rights, and he expects us to do the same. See, being part of God's family, living in God's kingdom, being a disciple of Jesus, this comes with expectations, a a culture code that God expects everyone in his kingdom to live by. And God's culture code is marked by mercy, by forgiveness. In God's kingdom, we forgive because God forgave us. If we want to be a part of God's kingdom, and if mercy is a characteristic of God, then it needs to be a characteristic of ours. And listen, sometimes forgiveness is hard. Some forgiveness is a long-term project. Forgiveness doesn't always mean that the relationship is unaltered. An abuser does not need to stay in your daily life. You don't have to keep working for a toxic boss. The parable isn't giving us some legalistic to-do list that says we have to repeatedly leave ourselves in harmful situations. Forgiveness doesn't mean not being honest about how you were hurt. Forgiveness doesn't remove the need for accountability and making amends. This parable is just asking us to consider the posture of our hearts toward forgiveness. This parable is making a point about how very seriously God takes our forgiveness of others. This parable is making a point about how attitudes of unforgiveness can poison a community. This parable is forcing us to confront the reality that our forgiveness from God should have an impact on our forgiveness of others. This parable that Jesus told was in response to Peter's question, how often do I have to forgive? And this parable is Jesus' answer. Jesus is saying, 
if we're still asking how much we have to forgive, we haven't fully grasped how much God has forgiven us. If we're still asking how many times we haven't really understood how much God has forgiven us. So what is the posture of your heart this morning? Are you aware of how much God has forgiven you? Is that gratitude pouring out in your liberal forgiveness of other people? Sometimes I think we forget how much we've been forgiven. In so many ways, we have these short-term memories with God. That's why St. Ignatius of Loyola developed a practice he called the Daily Examine. It was his way of making sure that every day he paused to remember what God had done for him. He did it twice a day at noon and in the evening. Some people just practice it once at the end of the day as a reflection. That might be a good exercise for some of us to try out as a way of keeping our hearts humble about how much God has forgiven us. There's lots of variations on this practice, but um, I've provided you with one this morning that I thought might be simple and helpful. Um, It's both on the back of your note sheet, and there are bookmarks if you want to stick it in your Bible um, and keep it there. This is a practice you can use every day. It walks you through each moment of your day. So you begin by being still in God's presence, noticing his presence with you, breathing in and out, settle your thoughts, and then you reflect on your day. You kind of replay the day in your head like a movie and think about what happened that day. And as you look back over the day, you can thank God for all of the blessings that he poured out on you that day. And you can confess. You can consider the the parts of your day that you need forgiveness for. You might consider if there's another person you need to ask forgiveness for or someone you need to extend forgiveness to. And then the last step is to look forward to tomorrow with hope and God's forgiveness and God's mercy, God's grace that gives us the power to live as though we belong to his kingdom. This is just a practice you could use that might be helpful for you. Living the way of God's kingdom isn't easy. Living with a posture toward forgiveness is hard. But the Bible is clear that that's the expectation in the kingdom of God. God takes forgiveness seriously. Forgiven people forgive others. If we're struggling to forgive, the best thing we can do is to look back at how much we've been forgiven. So in these next few moments, as the band comes back up, they're going to play a song. You can either stand up and sing with them, or if you want to just kind of sit and think about, what is God bringing up in your heart about this whole topic of forgiveness? Maybe you want to practice through the daily examine. Um, In these next few moments, as the band plays, um, take this time to reflect. Let me pray. God, thank you that your forgiveness towards us is unlimited. Thank you that your forgiveness to us is boundless. We confess that we know that you are calling us to live in a posture of forgiveness towards others. And that is hard. Sometimes sometimes forgiveness might mean still a call to the police or an altered relationship or 
or not someone being in your life anymore. Sometimes that's the reality of it, God. But we want to be people whose hearts don't hold on to the wrong people have done to us, whose hearts surrender to you to deal with the person who's harmed us. God, this whole topic is hard. We need your help. So will you help us today? Will you remind us of the great forgiveness you've given us? Will you help us to have a posture of forgiveness and love to other people? We are yours. We want to be like you. Help us live each day more and more the way you want your kingdom to look. In the grace and love and power of Jesus, who conquered sin, who conquered death, and who will return to right all things, we pray. Amen.